Chris and I were talking last week, a little after the service, talking about poetry and what poetry is and the power of words. And so often when we come in the door here, I think our expectations, I've been in church for a long time, our expectations are, are different perhaps and, and we need to have that adjusted. When we come to church, I mean Jeremy said it as well, we come really to hear about the truth. We come to hear about the words of eternal life, and there are very few words that will be spoken that are more important in your life than God loves you more than you can fathom. That's profound, and yet so simple. God loves us all. And, and he's gone to the edge, ends of the earth, to the ends of the universe to, to, to get you here, to get you to, to hear those words. I love you. I know about know about that. I know about the brokenness here. I know about the, the foul stuff over here, but I love you so much. I'm going to give my own flesh and blood for you. I'm going to give the biggest sacrifice for you that could ever be given because I love you and I want you next to me and I want to reconcile. I want to bring you from this place of being lost, bring you to a place of being found in my presence because that alone will change you. Last week, I, I talked about three kind of key themes from Luke 13 to 15. Um, these themes are kind of part of this apologetics study I got into a little while ago, maybe about six months ago, uh, from a friend. And, I, you know, I feel like it's funny when you get into apologetics, I feel like I've been a Christian too long to be in apologetics. That seems like a, a beginner thing, like that's part of the training wheels, like this is why you should believe in Christianity. As I've begun to study and look at it again as an older, older Christian, I'm finding such richness in the study of apologetics, in the real just basic foundational truths of who God is. Right? Coming back again, God's love. And many of these great apologists, at least the ones that I was studying, start there. I say, please, you know, as, as you talk about people, talk to people about the faith, try to avoid getting into all the, all the junk, all the, all the, not junk, but all the trivialities of it, all the differences of why you're wrong and I'm right. We've got to start with God's deep love. And so in this process, I spoke to a guy, Rod Rosenblatt. He's one of the professors at the university where I work at, Concordia. And he's a great thinker, a great apologist, a, a great theologian. And he, he encourages people, all Christians, to really know five key verses. He calls it five key verses of Christianity. He says, Christianity is really made up of five key verses. And I've been on this kick for a while, and everything I see in Scripture now just streams of these themes, these five key verses. Now, when he says five verses, he doesn't mean actually just five verses in, in the Bible. He's talking about five key themes in the Scripture that every Christian should know. That are, again, not just to persuade, but for you to really sit in and, and, and realize these are the truths that have set me free. These are the truths in the world that have set me free, that God has created for you to be free. For you to be reconciled to him. And so last week, we talked about the first one. We have a problem. And, I, and that's another way of saying all have sinned. They've fallen short of the glory of God. First key theme in Christianity, key foundational theme. Second one is our problem is fatal, right? That, that point of the wages of sin is death. And the third one, and I emphasize this with each point, is that Christ paid the price. I mean, this is really the good news, right? Christ paid the price for you and for me. And I really hit those last week pretty hard. 
This week, I want to jump into the fourth, and that is we are justified by grace. We are justified by grace. We are made right. We are brought into God's presence, not by our own clawing and scratching and polishing and showering and whatever it is, good works. That's not, that's not why. That's not how. We're justified by grace. We're brought into his presence. We are reconciled to him because of what he did. He says, this is a proof of him. And then the parable here is awesome. It's, it's a parable of the guy who gave the great banquet. Let's take a look at it. Um, this is, uh, where is it? Let's take a look. Uh, chapter 15. No, sorry. Yeah, we skipped. 13. The parable of the man who gave the ban- great banquet. The invitations start out this way. There are kind of a, a few elect who are given invitations to the, the great banquet. And they say, hey, you know what? My cows need some food. Just bought some new land. I got some stuff. I don't really have time for the banquet. We cool? Hey, we're cool, right? They ignore the great banquet. And the one who gives the banquet, I mentioned this last week, often the man in the parable is God himself. And God says, here's a place for you to come. Here's something that I've prepared for you. And they say, you know what, I'm going to go and, let me go and check this, this thing. Because this looks kind of shiny. This looks a little more glittery, perhaps, than what I see at your party. Some of those folks, you know those people? I'm going to go and hang out over there. And so, what does the man do? He says, okay. The invitations keep going out there, right? The invitations, the, the, the parable talks about how the invitations go to the poor and the needy. They go out and they take them up to the highway. And they distribute these invitations on the highway, I don't know how that would be done. I picture on the 405 just throwing the invitations out there and just, just flowering in the wind, right? These invitations just going out everywhere for anyone to take hold of them and say, yes, this is what I've been looking for. <laughs> I'm invited. Me. I mean, do you know who I am? Do you have any idea where I've been? I'm going, dude. I'm invited to the banquet. The guy's setting the banquet up, and I'm going, i got to be invited right here. And so these folks, right, they start, they are invited. All of humanity, invitations are sent out, not based on works. The parable does not say, there's a select few people that we really want to find. Some of them. Quite a good job in this Bible reading. Here you go, buddy. And then, yes, no, that's not how, on the highway, spread them out. And this is the heart of God in this parable. It says, it's not based on what you've based on your Christian resume. It's based on my need for people. My love is so big, I want them all. I want them all. Take them up where they all they are, where the cars are flying by, where the people are milling around. Throw them out. Scatter these invitations. I want all, all of them to come. Parable of the mustard seed. I'm still kind of in 13, 14, 15. Parable of the mustard seed. Also, uh, chapter 13, I believe. Yes, here it is. 13, verse 18. So he was saying, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and threw into his own garden. And it grew and became a tree. And the birds of the air nested in its branches. That's a pretty cool picture. Kingdom of God. A man takes it. 
we tend to just assume it's God, right? It's God's people. Looking in his garden, that's, that's perhaps our earth, our lives, our society. Thing's going to grow. It's going to grow so big. It's going to grow into your lives. It's going to grow into my life. This great tree will grow up in your life. This is the kingdom. This is how it works. I, you know, I don't notice in the parable where he says, and where I put the mustard seed, the people will need to tend it very carefully and do all these really important things in order to keep the mustard seed there. That's not what he says. It said the mustard seed will grow up like a, like, like, like a great tree. And it's he. It's he the gardener. It's he the man who owns the field. That is, it's his work. It's his seed. This is another picture of justification by faith. This is another picture of God's free gift. This is a picture of God's great love. God's great and perfect work. It's him. It's him. He's going to grow this tree in your life. He's going to grow this tree in your life. And what, what is your part? Your part is to say, yes, yes, Lord, come. Come and put this mustard seed in my life. I don't care where you put that. Just put it in there because I trust that you can grow something beautiful. And it is, it is beautiful, actually. It says that the birds will come and nest in it, right? It becomes this great thing in your life. You know, we are the ones, last week I talked about, the lost ones, the broken ones. And he says, I'm going to use you. I'm going to take you from being lost being found. I'm going to plant this seed in your life, and this tree will grow, and it will be beautiful and strong, and, and glory be to God, others will come and, and be able to rest in this. And so you'll move from a place of brokenness into a place of great strength because of what I'm going to do in you. And you can trust. You can trust that I'm going to create something beautiful and strong. And you, who now have eyes to see the brokenness around you, I don't want you to go around pointing, broken, mm, broken, lost, mm, yeah, not good, bad. Oh, I used to do those nasty things. Oh, man, I can't believe people are still, that's not your role. That's not my role. But you rather say, look at this, man. This is crazy. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was, I was blind, but now I see. I was useless. I was breaking stuff. And now something incredible is growing in me in spite of myself. In spite of myself, something beautiful is growing in me. This is God's work in me. Martin Luther says this, this cool, very simple statement. He says, you know what, to be a Christian is to be one beggar showing another beggar where to find bread. One beggar showing another beggar where to find bread. Hey, bro, I was, I've been hungry all my life. And I found this place of I found this place of life. I found this place where there's real bread that's going to satisfy once and for all, man, how many trash cans I've dug through. How many sewers I've just found myself waist deep in just because I'm hungry. But I know what it's like. And I'm there. And without his work, I'd still be there. Come. Let me show you because he loves you. He says he loves me. Let me show you what I found. Let me show you. Let me describe and show you this tree that he's built in my life. And there's room, bro. Come on. He's made room in my life somehow for you and for others to enjoy what he's done, what he is doing every single moment. Profound, beautiful picture of justification by grace. Being brought into his presence by grace. He plants the seed. He builds the tree in your life. The thick, sturdy branches, the great trunk. 
love that. I love that mustard seed thing. I've been, I've been just kind of meditating on that the last few weeks. Because work is good. Last week I talked a little bit about our identity as lost ones. Right? We said that in, in 13, 14, and 15 of Luke. All these different parables about being lost. Coin, son, uh, sheep. We're lost. Um, and, and so, I'm a little low-tech this week. I couldn't find my iPad, unfortunately. So, losing things. Um, now, though, our identity has changed. As we come into relationship with Christ, as we say, I can't believe you want me at the banquet. I can't believe that, I mean, you, knowing everything, still want me. But I'll tell you what, I'll take it. I'll take it because I've already tried that, and that's, that's not working. I've already been digging in the trash, and that's not tasting any good. And so I say yes. I say yes. I respond to this grace. I say, yes, Lord, come into my life. Plant that living water. Let me have that living water. Plant that mustard seed in me. I'll take it. If you're willing to give it to a, a fool like me, take it. At that very moment. At that moment, how easy is that? We say yes, and he says, game on. Game on. You're mine. And I will show you what real life is all about. At that moment, our identity changes. What does he mean our identity? Well, obviously, we're bound. We're bound ones then, right? But we're also debtors. And I want to use that carefully, that word debtor. This is a Charles Spurgeon word. I like Charles Spurgeon. I like some of these old guys, these old theologians. They're very poetic. I don't know why that just resonates with me, this poetic nature of these old guys who really were steeped in some of the great poets of their day, more so than I think today. But this is 1856, Charles Spurgeon. And he calls us debtors. And he makes it very clear. You're not a debtor in terms of, pay up, buddy. Write the check. Do the work. Climb the stairs. Bow down. Do all these rituals. That's not how you're a debtor. You're a debtor in the sense of being a beneficiary. Imagine just receiving a massive inheritance. There's a on your door. Guy from Monopoly is there. Reading the chance card. Oh, just so happens that your uh, third uncle, four times removed, he's giving you $10 million. Yes! Yes, man! Okay! Woo! Your life has changed! $10 million bucks? You kidding me? kind of interest that is? I have no idea, but if you do the math, you can probably figure it out. It's a lot of money, I'm sure, right? Your life has changed. You're a beneficiary. You don't know this dude. Of course, you want to find out, probably. Like, who? who? Where? Where is he? Oh, he's in Liechtenstein or whatever. He just, he just died, though. And so, but I want to know who this is, right? My, my identity has changed, and you're a beneficiary. This is how Charles Spurgeon describes your, debted, your indebtedness. Because something amazing, something beyond $10 million, an inheritance like that, Something better than that has happened. Something really beyond estimation has changed your identity, has changed your life, has come over your life, and ha has given you a whole new sense of value and hope. And yet, it's not what you did, right? Ryan didn't do anything to get that guy to come to his door and get some beneficiary. Didn't even know the Lichtenstein relative. And yet, here he is, the beneficiary. And in this way, we are debtors in the way that Charles Spurgeon talks about. This way, our identity changes from being lost ones to being beneficiaries. It sounds very awesome. Benefici I'm a beneficiary. Yes, yes, that's where my pockets are full. Um, 
So he says this. I, I love this language. It's a little oldish, but it's, it's fun. He says this. We are debtors to the past, he describes in this way. To such who have preceded us, we owe the purity of the church, and to them we are debtors. I see the martyrs and confessors rising from their tombs. I mark their hands still stained with blood and their bodies scarred with the wound of persecution. We are debtors to the headless bodies of those who were beheaded for Christ Jesus. We are debtors to those who dared the lions in the amphitheater and fought with wild beasts at Ephesus. We are debtors to the massacred thousands of the bloody church of Rome and the murdered myriads of her pagan predecessors. We are debtors to them all. He says we are debtors to the people who have taken us. Stand up, you warriors of the truth. Stand up firmly, for ye are debtors to the future. Even as ye are debtors to the past, so well, so well, for others must weep. You are foundations for coming generations. Oh, be careful that your streams are pure. May the Spirit of God enable you so to live that you can bequeath your example as a legacy to the future. And then he says, but most of all, as much as we are debtors to the past, to those martyrs and those who came before us, again, to see things clearly, right? This is what, what, what God has done. We are debtors to the past, to a history of those who have given their lives so that the gospel would go forward. This is how God works. And no doubt he could, he could send a host of angels to say, hey, listen, here's the basics, five verses, Christianity, boom. Believe it, right? You good? Okay, I'm out of here. I mean, he could do that. It's not beyond God to send angels. But instead, throughout the scripture, we see God using people, using men and women to hold this truth in jars of clay, so to speak, right? To talk about what it is to be loved and to love God. To, love by, to be loved by God and to love God. And so, we, in, some, in a sense, we're debtors to those who have had the courage to say, I believe this, and no matter what the world or the culture says, I'm going to follow because I believe there's truth in this, and there's, there's life in this, and others need to have this for themselves too. And so in a sense, we're debtors to that, that, that heritage in a way. We're debtors to the future where we understand what we have and how important it is for us. And how this has brought us from death to life, how it's brought us from blindness to sight. We realize, man, we've got to tell others. Whether it's in Peru or, uh, who was I talking to the other day, in Cambodia. Russ Landreth, I had a meeting with Russ. I came here the other day, actually, and Russ Landreth spoke, and I, I did a follow-up meeting because I just had to hear more about awareness in Cambodia. I mean, these folks who are out in places that aren't quite as safe as Orange County in some ways, who are sending the gospel out because they, they deserve the love of Christ as much as we do. I love how you said that, John. I mean, that's, that's brilliant. They deserve it. And so we get this sense of being compelled out. Now, this has been wonderful for me. Now I've got to take it out. So debtors to the past, debtors to the future, but he says in his sermon that we are not debtors that need to pay, sorry, we, even more so, we are debtors to God, right? This is what his, his last point is. And Spurgeon makes it clear. Not debtors that need to pay what has been given to us or paid back, but rather beneficiaries. And, and we see this idea in Luke 16 through 18, working on this theme of identity, right? We're not debtors in the sense of having to pay back. We're debtors in the sense of, hey, you've been given this inheritance. This changes your identity changes now. And so we are debtors to the past, debtors to the future. But most of all, we realize that it's God's work. It's God's work. And so because he's done this, how could I do anything else? It's ludicrous for 
me to want to go anywhere else or follow any other God than the one who has changed my life. An eye-opening experience to be a beneficiary. In, in, in a parable, so much of 16, 17, and 18 of Luke talks about the identity and the posture of a beneficiary. Is it to brag and lord over others? My pockets are full. Why are you so poor, bro? I got mine. What, what, you must not be doing the right thing. Some, I must have done something. I don't know what it was. I must have done something right. You're doing something wrong. Check me out. That, that's, not, that's not it, right? And we see examples of that in the scriptures here. Also, is it to brag or lord over others or to humbly admit our identity? We are those who were pulled from death, rescued from danger, and truly saved. Luke 17. Let's go. Luke 17 and uh, verse 11. While he was on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten leprous men who stood at a distance met him. They raised their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they were going, they were cleansed. Can you imagine what that would have been like? I had the, 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 the opportunity to be in India a couple years ago. Oh, no, it was last year with Audrey, actually, I think. We were, and Josh. We were in India at one of the Mother Teresa homes, and they have a home for the leper, for leprous folk. And it was a powerful afternoon. We walked through this, this, this facility where they were camping. And these folks, some missing uh, parts of their limbs, some missing noses or ears, some missing eyes. These folks have a very difficult time, and, and beautiful work that God is doing through Mother Teresa, or did through Mother Teresa, now she's gone on to glory, to have her set this home where they're, they're, these folks are cared for, and they have work, and they can do things. In society, they, they, there seems a bit of a stigma, but in this home, they're, they're given the respect, they deserve as humans. These lepers, imagine going from being an outcast of society, hearing from Jesus, okay, go see the priest? That's, that's clearly not allowed. I'm not supposed to be anywhere near a priest. They'll make them unclean, but you said it. It's on you. And as they go, these are men who have been pushed out of their homes, out of society, away from friends, away from everything they love. And as they go, I don't know, limbs begin to extend. It doesn't really go into the details, but I imagine limbs begin to extend, eyesight, somehow the, the skin reforming. Somehow the limp being corrected, somehow the, the scar that it won't heal is being healed over and realizing, hold it. And I, I don't know if all of a sudden they begin to run. Woo! I mean, you would imagine that would be like. All of a sudden you're being healed as you walk. I love it. Where did I leave off? Um, oh, here we go. As they were going, they were cleansed. Oh, now one of them. When he saw that he had been healed, turn back. Why not? Glorifying God with a loud voice. That's what I would do. And he fell on his face at his feet, at Jesus' feet, giving thanks to him. And who was a Samaritan? Then Jesus answered and said, were there not ten cleansed? Were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found? who returned to give glory to God, except this foreigner. And he 
said to him, stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. Again, not a whole lot of detail there about exactly what that means, but wherever we see Christ say, your faith has made you well, he's often talking about more than just the physicality. He's talking about a soul issue. And so perhaps the one who came back received more than physical healing, but perhaps in that place of, of humility before Christ, his soul is restored. And in, in truth, that is the greatest healing. So why, why, why bring this up? Because this is the posture of those who are beneficiaries. This is the posture of a debtor, of one who was lost, who one who was a leper. You and I, in our own leprous state, were met by Christ. He came right through our filth and said, you are mine? So our proper response, I'm going to go get some, mine. I'm going to go have some fun. Or, Lord, God Almighty, glory be to God Almighty, you've saved me. Thank you. Look at, look at this. I'm healed. I have life again. This man recognized his identity, a debtor, one who receives a gift he did not earn. Luke 18, 19. Oh, sorry. Yeah, 18, 9. Sorry, 18, 9. And he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves, that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. I hate to admit it, but I've been here oh, as a Christian for many years now. I've been here. I've been one of those who trusted in myself. I got this. I, got, I can put on a pretty big old Christian show. I got this now. Watch this. I got some folks with my Christianese. Oh, disgusting, right? When you really see it. Now I see, oh. That guy that used to be inhabiting this body, who trusted in himself, thought he was righteous, and viewed others with contempt, even worse. You want to think about it. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, and the other a tax collector. You know this from hearing Boogie all these years. Pharisees, the teachers, the ones who believed and trusted in their righteousness. But please, don't, don't start thinking it's just Pharisees. It's, it's you and I that so easily fall into this trap. Hey, I've been coming to church three weeks straight. I'm feeling pretty good. I think I got this figured out. Look at that camper act over there. Hey, start sweeping your life. Uh, it's too easy, right? It's way too easy. So please, take this as personally as you can. The other a tax collector, those who were traitors to their own people, connivers and cheaters and thieves, using power to manipulate and steal, right? Ugh. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, and even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. That's pretty good, i got to be honest. I pay tithes. That's pretty good, too. Of all that I get, even better. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven. Why is that? Because he was a debtor. Because he was a beneficiary like Ryan here. Right? What did I do? Nothing. Okay, well, well how can I give thanks? How can I, how can I honor this guy who's given me all this? How can I honor this man who has saved my life, who's given me such great inheritance? He could not lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, Jesus replied. 
tell you this much. This man went to his house justified. There's my word, right? Justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. This is the identity that Christ is encouraging, saying this is the truth, man. I want you to live in the truth. The truth is going to set you free. So live in this. Embrace it. Hold it close. Ask God to make this a reality in your life that you are a debtor, a beneficiary, something you can never repay. And what is the proper way to live? Humbly. Humbly before your God. Humbly before other folks around you. To live humbly and to realize all this has been given to you. Nothing have you done has earned this. We must see ourselves truly, clearly, or we, or we risk living a lie. We risk acting like posers. We risk acting like pretenders and phonies. That's not what we want. And I wrote this in my notes. This is where Christians blow it often. I, I just wanted to get my name there. This is where I blow it often. We forget. I forget who I really am. Things going pretty well. Instead of, if God is not with me every moment, I'm hurt for God. If God is not with me, if his grace is not on me all the time, every moment, I am certain to die. I am certain to end up in that place of death that I was, I was there. Crying out, God, be merciful. A sinner, thank you for your, for your mercy. Thank you for the healing. And come back to his feet once again to say, it's you. It's you who's given me this opportunity to serve in Peru. It's you who's given me this opportunity to serve right here in this, this city where there's broken people, where people need bread. Lord, it's you that can do this work. And you've given me a love for others that makes me want to go out and, and do this for them too now. But it's got to be you because I break stuff. Edward Scissorhands. John Scissorhands is my name, really. I'll just, oh, I'll help. Ouch! No, man, just get away! I mean, that's how it really is, right? I'm speaking very personally here. I have these scissor hands. Watch out now. That if not for the grace of God, I sliced everyone in, in the vicinity. I sliced everyone that I love. And how tragic. I have a little baby. I have three children. To slice them, oh, it, it breaks my heart to even think of it. But even you, my friend, that left to my own devices, Wolverine, right? Just come out, oh! To live humbly, to realize, no, this is, this is his work. His work will allow me to love others. His work, his grace, his heart in you. And then, I'm going to give you a new heart. Give you a new heart, my heart. Your heart's stone. Your heart's messed up. My heart, I'm going to put it in you. And when that starts beating inside your chest, you're going to do things, go places, say things. You never thought you could say. Do stuff that actually is going to bring life. Wouldn't that be cool? Last one. Number five. We can have assurance of salvation. I think this is key. We can trust the promises of God. These are not just hopeful. These are promises. He said, I'm going to do this in you. You believe. You respond. You say yes. I'm not going to force my way in there. I love you too much to force, to pry open, to punch down. You say yes, man, I'm in. I'm in with you. 
and we can trust the promise of God. We have full permission to mistrust our own feelings and emotions. This is the other thing, very personal for me. I feel like my life as a Christian has been a roller coaster often, where I really feel like, I feel like I'm walking with God. This is awesome. I get the little goosebumps and feeling when I pray, it's awesome. Sing, I want to sing all the time. And there's other times where I feel like, I hate everyone. You know, it's just getting to this dark place. Sorry, just confession time, right? Get away. You know, I just want to be by myself. People are disgusting. I'm gross. Everything's gross. There's no hope. <laughs> Am I still saved? You know, that's the feeling. Like, oh, my gosh. That dude over there was, like, going everywhere and doing cool missions. But this guy over here is, like, a louse. You know, just hate, a hater. Judging. Am I still saved? Yes. We can mistrust. I give you full permission to mistrust your emotions. Mistrust those things. They're not fully redeemed yet. We're waiting that day. These feelings and emotions are not to lead us. It is God's word. That's why we've got to be in this thing. We've got to be in this thing, reading these, these great words of eternal life. It's this word that must lead us. When you turn, you're in this place. I don't know if you've ever been here before. I might be the only one. Um, where you just feel like a hater, and you just, you just, oh man, how could I be of the redeemed? This does not, I just need to hide somewhere, because I'm going to ruin the whole kingdom advancement, and this one, one dude will ruin everything. No, it's here, it says, even in the valley of the shadow of death, I'm here, I'm there with you, I've got you all the way, and we'll work on it, I'm going to work on those emotions, I'm going to work on those mood swings. I'm going to work on that. I'm going to do it for you. I'm going to grow that tree right through those, those fragile emotions. I'm going to grow my, my thick branches right through those emotions that just crumble. I'm going to grow my emotions through your temper. I'm going to grow my emotions through your fear. I'm going to grow, my, sorry, I'm gonna grow my, my branches through your fear. I'm going to grow my branches through your insecurity. And that will be stability where there was always stability. That's awesome. We don't trust our own emotions. God, God's word, it, his promise, it gives us assurance of salvation. It's not our Christian resume. That's subjective. It's not our feelings and goosebumps. It's God's word. His promise. So, Christianity in five verses. First one, we have a problem. Paul has a problem. Second one, our problem is fatalism. The wages of sin is death. Third one, Christ is his work. Fourth, we are justified by faith. Hopefully you've seen that picture today. His work, his tree, justified by grace, his branches growing through your life in, in weak spots where you never thought there would be any stability. He will he'll provide stability for that. You don't have to look to the future and say, oh man, I don't know. That's how I felt on my wedding day. I was at a wedding yesterday. I remember in my, on my wedding day, feeling I had this emotional, again, I was here, I guess, you know, right before I'm going up to the altar. Not a good time on your wedding day. And I was like, I'm going to ruin this girl. I'm going to be the end of her. At some point, scissor hands is going to come out, and she's going to die. You know, and, and it's going to be my fault. That's how I was feeling. It was a terrible, dark spot on my, on my, on my wedding day. I was reminded of it yesterday as I was praying for this, this, these two students of mine. I got to go to their wedding. It was awesome. I was just praying for them. Like, Lord, these guys are going to scissor hand them, themselves, you know. Give them hope for the future. Give them 
And that's justification by grace. That's, that's his continued work in you. Well, once and for all, you're justified, right? And then his work of sanctification goes out from that. His, his saving, his changing of you. That's his work. And so he met me there on that wedding day. Said, hey, yes, indeed. Your scissor hands will destroy everything. Not only her, but the whole family. <laughs> Go down. But I'm with you. So I rose you know, from my knees like that tax collector in some ways, feeling like, thank God. Thank God that he has promised that it's his work. His work, his growth in you, in me, all. It will allow us to, to love. Going 15 years, that's pretty good with my wife. So far, I don't think there's too many cuts. Nothing fatal. God is good. But every day I wake up with that sense, even with my children. Lord, help me to love them well. Number five, the assurance of salvation. Again, I'm giving you full permission. Mistrust those emotions. Do not trust those. They will come in. And I think it's the work of the enemy sometimes too. But sometimes it's just me, man. I'm just an emotional roller coaster, moody guy. Don't trust that. Trust the word. Trust his promise. He is working in you. His tree is growing in your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can come here and hear words of eternal life, these foundational truths. Lord, what are you going to do? I'm excited just to see the testimony of the word as it goes out among my friends here, even as I meditate on these, these foundational truths, all the wonderful things that you'll do in and through us as your tree, as the kingdom grows in our lives. And this body here, branches, ah, so so tied up in that image there as well. This church body here, branches, as you grow your branches in and through them, where will you reach? Who will you reach? Peru, San Juan, all parts of the earth. Let this truth, let these doctrinal truths, these foundational truths of freedom, of your work, go out. Let them bring life. We thank you for the life you've brought to us. We pray this all in Jesus' name.